Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. This whole series has been called With Jesus. And he's describing here what it's like to be with him. He's using an illustration of what it's like to be with him. Someone who belongs to him and be with him. And he uses the illustration of a branch and a vine. That's how with Jesus you are. You just go look at a tree. Go look at a tomato plant. And he would say, that. That's us. That's how connected we are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Beginning in verse 1 through verse 17. Let me just adjust this real quick. All right, how's that? Am I doing everything right? Okay. Is that cool? Okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it ab- abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you make these words whatever they need to be to all of us that are listening? Lord, would you help me stand behind the cross of Jesus and under it, that they may see you, that their love for you may grow, And then therefore their love for one another may grow. And I pray this for myself. 
We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, this is a, this is a really important question. How do we change? Think about this. Like, how do you grow as a, as a Christian, as a human being? How do you change your habits? And how do we grow in our love for one another? Jesus keeps repeating over and over again, and that's really the fulfillment of the law, is love. But just think about your life. I'm a professional Christian. Right? I should be crushing this. But like, I'm still struggling with some of the same stuff I've been struggling with for decades. Y'all can relate? And so that's a big question. And in fact, it's like why we go to so many books and retreats and read these things and do these things and all these different things. Like, because there's certain things like, how do I change? How do I grow? How do I become more loving? How do I become less of a jerk? See, Jesus would answer this question like radically different, differently than we would answer it. We're always talking about like, how do we change? How do we transform? How do we get over things? And Jesus would describe it as, how do you bear fruit? See, it's not so much change with Jesus as it is fruitfulness to Jesus. And we have to begin to use his horticultural imagery when we look at ourselves. I'm gonna say that again. You and I need to adopt Jesus's horticultural, that is agricultural, vegetative imagery when we're talking about personal transformation. And that's what we're gonna look at today. What is it, how do we become fruitful? First, you have to realize who you are. You're a branch. You are a branch. First point, branch. Second point, you're a branch that abides in Christ. So you're a branch, point one, you're a branch that abides, point two, and then the ubiquitous, ever-present, so what? I'm that uncreative. Okay. Branch, abide, so what? Let's go. So branch. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are branches. I, he says it several times. I am the vine, you are branches. And so that would have been so common for everyone listening, everyone from the youngest to the oldest, doesn't matter who you are, you could at least get the idea of a vine and a branch. Maybe he's talking about a vineyard, right? They grow grapes, a vine and a branch. I'm the vine and you're the branches that grow off the vine. I was thinking about when I was writing the sermon about my grandmother's tomato plants. She grew them in the front of her house, right? Right outside, right outside the front door. And she would stake these tomatoes out there and they would just grow. And you know the smell of a tomato vine? That's the smell. That is the, that's the smell of July, right? It's like this prickly, almost like minty, very earthy smell. It smell, oh. But I think about that. About a tomato growing off this vine and it starts so small and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and there are these massive red things. That's what Jesus wants you to be thinking about. Instead of like, 
How do I get better? How do I do this? How do I independently become autonomous and victorious in my life and become stronger and things like that? That's how we think. Jesus wants you to think about a tomato. You got to shift this. And when he says this, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. So here's the first thing we say who we are. We are rooted in reality, the truth. A branch, to be a branch connected to the vine, the true vine, means you've gotten to the very root of the matter. Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. He is what is really real. He is the core, Jesus is the core of reality. Now, Colossians 1 says that all things were made through him, by him, and for him, and he holds all things together. John 1 said that there's nothing that has been made that wasn't made through him. So here's what I mean. Jesus is not, Jesus is not just a man that self. So you're a tomato plant connected not just to a nice guy and not just to a powerful guy, but to reality itself. You have actually, there you are, and you drove here and you're like 2012 Odyssey, right? You have your little life and you're gonna go home and you're gonna eat your little turkey sandwich and you're gonna take a nap. You, our little rinky-dink selves, are connected to the very center and heart of all truth that will ever exist. Cheer up. The root of his really real, C.S. Lewis once put it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In other words, the gospel is not just a religion. The gospel is not just a worldview. The gospel is the sun and you see everything else. Everything else is in perspective of Jesus Christ. That's how massive this is when he calls himself the true vine. So much so that this is also, he's using imagery from the Old Testament, especially from Isaiah 5, Isaiah chapter 27, when he's talking about a vine and a vine dresser. Israel is the vine and God is the vine dresser. He's talking about himself actually as the true Israel. He, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of Israel. Israel gave birth to the Messiah. And so for Jesus to be the true Israel and all of the promises to Israel, all of the Old Testament, everything, all the tributaries, they all flow right into the main river, down into the Gulf, which is Jesus Christ. X marked the spot, that's the destination. And you and I are united to him. We are connected to him. United to him like a branch and a vine. And so here's what he's saying. That you are connected right now. If you trust Jesus, just a little bit, just a little bit, just like a baby's pinky toe, just a tiny little bit, like a little mustard seed, just a little bit of trust, not, a, not to be a lot. Today you may be hanging on by like a spider web thin thread, but just a little bit of trust, which by the way is a gift from God, which is faith. If you're leaning into Jesus and into this gospel, you are actually past, present, and future connected to life forever. So much so that Jesus says in John 8, that if you keep my word and you believe in me, you will not see death, you will not taste death. You have actually gone through death already. 
And so your body dies, but you live forever in the presence of God. Y'all, I cannot overstate what he's saying here. He is the alpha and the omega when he says he's the true vine. He is the A to the Z. And to be in union with him, like a branch to a vine. Think about it. This is the, so simple. It's exquisite. Like a branch to a vine, everything that the vine gets, the branch gets. So here's what that means. Jesus lived a perfect life, a morally impeccable life. And the word impeccable actually means without sin. Peccator, that means sin. Jesus had a morally impeccable life, spotless, lived perfectly. So did you. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Why? You're a branch. Everything the vine gets, branch gets. But wait a second, I'm really messed up. That, I, that's why this is called good news. Wait a second, you don't know what I did this morning. That's why this is called good news. It's out, no, it's outrageous. It's, Steve Brown, scandalous. So you get his perfection, his righteousness, vine, branch. Jesus died. He died your death. He actually killed your death, Hebrews chapter two. Your brother, Hebrews says, killed your death. He rose. He was buried, you were buried. He rose from the grave, you rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, you ascended into heaven. So much so that Paul says that you are seated in the heavenly realms right this minute. That is what Jesus is saying here. That is how radical it is, that is how wonderful it is. And he wants it to seep down into us, down to our anxieties, down to the places where we feel most unclean. There's a place behind my sink. I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of dishes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a really good dishwasher because I can cook nothing. I can cook macaroni and cheese and make a PBJ. That's it. But I have agreed to do dishes in our house and I will do dishes but there's this place behind my sink, oh my goodness, I cannot clean. And it drives me crazy, and I'm trying to find the right, I could invent a tool, I think, with the right tool to scrape this little area, and it just, it mocks me. But I started realizing, as I often do, come up with a sermon illustration and realize, that's what my soul feels like. There are places in my conscience, in my soul, that I can't get to. There are places no matter how much I do, no matter how much ministry I try, no matter how hard I am on myself, there are places that I cannot scrub and that I cannot clean. But listen to what Jesus says in John 15, verse three, you're already clean. You're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. You're already clean. And the word he uses there is katharos, where we get the word, the name Catherine, which means pure. You are Catherine's? No, I'm not. Yes, you are. How? Vine, branch, vine, branch. I'm clean. You're clean. I cleaned you. And so here's what he's saying, that that mysterious union that we have with Jesus Christ, what it does is we are unclean in ourselves, even in our own consciences. We are unclean in the things that we've done. Every single day we break the law. As one of my professors said, you break the law every nanosecond. You never love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself. You never do. So before God, you're always breaking it. 99 is an F. 
So God has made you clean. You're way more sinful than you think you are. We just think about like these big sins and bold type. God looks at sin as a matter of the heart, but because of Jesus Christ and his impeccable life and because his sacrificial death, your connection to him right this second, regardless of how you feel about yourself, is eternally clean. Clean. I'm going to say that again. You're clean. You're clean. You're not who your parents say you are, ultimately. You're not who your friends say you are. You're not who the bullies say you are. And some of you have a bully in your head that's been there for 40 years. The bully may be dead. The bully may have been your brother. You are not who the bully says. You are clean. You are not what you did in high school. You are not what happened to you ultimately. Why? Because you are a branch to a vine. You are clean. So much so that the Bible is insistent, the New Testament, is about this inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. An inheritance. You just, an inheritance, just, you just were born into the right family if you got a good inheritance. What do you do? Like, how do you get an inheritance? Be born. It's as simple. And that's the language that the New Testament talks about, that Paul talks about in Colossians 1, and he talks about it in, in, in Ephesians 1, that there's an, an inheritance. But here's what's so beautiful about the Colossians 1 passage. He says that the Father has qualified you for this inheritance. I'm gonna say that again. The Father has qualified you for this inheritance. Because there is nothing in me or in my life that is ever, this is what love does. The Father has eternally himself qualified you. He has given you this qualification. And so you are going to have, and right now have, an inheritance hanging over your head like a big heavy cloud that one day will break with blessings on your head when Christ returns. Why? Branch, vine, branch, vine. You're a tomato plant. And I was starting to think about like, have you ever been a part of something where you just like got access to something totally on someone else's coattails? It's a very popular word. It's called privilege. Yeah, privilege, very privilege, right? Me. But here's one privilege. Because I just was born... My dad was an ER doctor, which is a very crazy job. Um, I remember when I was a child, we would go visit my dad because he worked crazy hours. We'd go visit my dad and we'd go eat lunch with him in the cafeteria. And I remember as I got older, I didn't notice it when I was a kid, but on Sundays like, or, or some time of the week, we would go visit my dad and we would walk through all like, you know, do not enter, right? <laughs> and like there are people suffering in the ER. So waiting in an ER, oh my goodness. You talked about one of the levels of hell, right? People suffering, people hurt, people, oh. But there are these like three little boys just walking through with their Sunday best on, walking right through. And then and there's like this guard. I remember there was a guard that came in and they were like, who are you? And they were like, we're Les Sessions' sons. He was like, come on in. And all these other people were like, what in the world? I have a, I have a knife sticking in me right now. These kids are going to go eat cheeseburgers. And I started thinking about that. It's because he was my dad. And so I had privileges to walk through every single door. 
And you wake up, there are, you have all the voices that I have. You have the big black rat in your mind. You have the vulture accusing you saying, that's not good. You're not good enough. You're a loser. You're worthless. You're filthy. People don't know about you. You're a phony. We all have those voices. And guess what? You walk through every single door of those things. Why? Because you're a branch connected to the vine. And your righteousness comes and say, who says? God says. Jesus says. Next. That's the, that's the boldness that the book of Hebrews is talking about. That we have this anchor for our soul to enter into the very holy of holies, not because we're holy, not because we've scrubbed our consciences, not because we've done all the right things. It's because God in his majestic, abounding grace and love, he has connected us to Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And to be disconnected from him, he says this, is death. See, everything that's the opposite, that's disconnection. You remember whenever like a, you know, when a tomato maybe gets too heavy and it starts through and it breaks the vine, you know, it breaks apart from the vine and you see this sad little shriveled up maroon memory of a tomato. It's like a sun-dried tomato, but not a good version, right? And that's as simple as Jesus is making that. It's that's for to be thrown away. Do you see, to be didn't, to be, to, dis, to be disconnected from Jesus is not to be disconnected just from a religion or disconnected from a political group. To be disconnected from Jesus is to be disconnected from eternal life. That's the tragedy. That's who you are. That's who Jesus is saying you are, Christian. That's not me saying this. All right, so what do we do? We abide. So Jesus gives us a verb here and he uses it a number of times. Abide, abide. Verses four and five, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. This is so simple, it's unbelievable. Look, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Tomatoes have to live, they have to be connected. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is there bear, bear, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? You can't live, a tomato can't live apart from the vine. So what does it mean to abide? I think a great, to live with, to lean into, to stay with, to stick with. And I think this is an imperfect illustration, but it's kind of the difference between dating and marriage. So dating is a temporary thing, right? Regardless of what middle schoolers tell me. It is temporary, it can change tomorrow, but when you get married, something happens to you, something objectively changes, your status changes, and so now your money, your clothes, your stuff, your issues, your issues, your scars, your weirdness, your habits, they're all home together. So you bring everything, so marriage is this kind of union, and so when you're married, you can't act like you're dating anymore. Do you, you get it? Some people do, that's called divorce. You can't act like you're dating, you're married. That's why you say forsaking all others as long as you both shall live, that means there's a marriage, there's a covenant. And so here's what he's saying, since you abide it, since you are a branch to a vine, act like it. Abide in me. But here's the thing, this is where we get probably the, this is where we really get it wrong. 
Because then we think, oh, okay, so now here's where he's telling us to pull our bootstraps up and like start getting our life together. This is that, but that's not, you're not listening to him. Because the, that union never changes, but there's an experience where you begin to obey out of your true identity and the scandalous grace that God has given to you. And so there are different aspects of abiding that I want to look at. To abide means to understand the gospel and the information of the gospel, the truth over you, and to preach it to yourself over and over and over again. So there is an intellectual, psychological, mental component to this. There is actually truth that you need to understand and know. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. It is to be devoted to the word, and that is one of the ways it looks like to abide. One of the ways I like to say it is, what does it mean to abide? It means to know what your only comfort is in life and death and to make that known every single day to yourself. And your only comfort in life and death, Heidelberg Catechism question number one. This is the first thing he knows. To abide means to recite something like this over and over and over again, to tell yourself who you are, that I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins. With his precious blood, he has set me free from all the power of, power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What it means to abide, it means to be devoted to the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means to know it. That's one of the reasons we study the Bible. And study the Bible as an end in itself. The Bible is a way for you to be more branch-like. It's for you to sink yourself deeper into the vine. God, tell me who I am. And so to think about how that might change the way you engage scripture on a daily basis. Instead of just going through it, instead of just going through it, it's because it's something you're supposed to do, like you're taking your vitamins or you're eating your broccoli or something. I think a lot of Christians see that, but as a way for you to engage God, to take that concept and drive it down into the places you can't clean. Another way that we abide is through the mystery of the Lord's Supper. I'm so glad we go to a church where we take it every single week. Because no matter how bad the sermon is, you're going to eat something good at the end of it. I love this. This is an application. However I felt like I did in the sermon, they're going to get to eat and drink the gospel. I mean it. That's way more important than anything else I'm going to say. God is so kind to us that he institutes something for us that this gospel that seems so abstract, our, our, our inheritance that seems so far away, he wants, you to, he wants you to feel it in your teeth and in your mouth. He wants you to taste it going down your tongue and down your throat. He wants you to realize it's that real. The cross of Jesus that you can't see is as real as this. Is this a sugar cookie or shortbread? I'm not sure what this is. It's so delicious. It's as real as this shortbread that you're eating on Sunday mornings. It's that good and it's that real. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. 
This is not just a routine. This is not just a memorial service. The reason we do it is because we don't believe this stuff. The reason we eat and we drink is because God knows we're going to forget who we are. We're going to forget that we're branches. We're going to forget that we're forgiven. We're going to forget that we're headed to the promised land. We're going to forget that, that God has everything in control because he's saying, here, just eat this. Even when you can't get it, I can't, I don't get it, but I get it. That's what it means. It's mystical. Ooh. Mystical doesn't mean immaterial. Mystical means something that is beyond our comprehension, but is profoundly wonderful. It's charged with life. That's what it means to abide, to be going to church because I have to eat the gospel and I got to drink it. And it's also relational. Think about this. When you were thinking of the tomato vine or whatever plant came up into your mind, were you just thinking of a vine and then one branch by itself? I doubt it. That's odd if you did. That's odd. It's unusual. Because the last time I checked, when I see vines, they have a lots of, they have all these branches going off of them. So they're connected to Christ. And since they're connected to Christ, they're connected to one another. It's where we get the word fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia. We get the word koine or common, community. See, it's not because we just like each other or birds of a feather flock together. That's just a club. The reason we're connected to one another in this multinational, multi-ethnic, cross-cultural kingdom of God is because we are connected to a first century Jew. Last time I checked, none of you fit that description. You're talking about cross-cultural? How about cross-cosmic? He came from heaven and inhabited this world, incarnate, first century Jew, living in Galilee, in Nazareth, of all places, and then dies, resurrected the Son of God, and we are united to him. And so here's what that means. You cannot, and I'll say this, I'm going to be, send me an email, that's fine, I might read it. You cannot... You cannot experience the friendship of Jesus apart from the friends of Jesus. Can't do it alone. And I tried to do it for a long time. And one of the reasons the gospel is so abstract and so cold, and maybe you are cold and abstract, is because you are lonely. And you are disconnected from other people speaking into your life and being with you. And the only way that you can come out of that place is there are places that you need other people to see you and not go away. Y'all, Christ community church? What does it mean to abide? It means to have Christian friends. You don't need, you just need one. There's a bunch, two. Somewhere where you are regularly taking your stuff. And if you're married, that's not just your spouse. Sorry, it's three men to help one man love one woman. And vice versa. And so one of the ways that you experience, the primary way you experience the friendship and the relationship with Jesus is through the relationship of people who are in relationship with Jesus. And then finally, how do we abide? It's through personal relationship with him. It is personal. It's individual. And I believe, I'm convinced, it's through a stillness and a silence.
It's learning to be still with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah 30, verse 15, is the beautiful example of this. When he's speaking to Israel, he says, by returning and rest, you shall be saved. Returning and rest shall you be saved. By quietness and trust, that will be your strength. Listen to that. It's not going and going, speed and distance and talking and doing and managing. It's not just filling your head with theological thoughts. It's about you being still with God and silent with God and learning how to cultivate that and working that into your life. To be still enough that you can hear the still, small voice of the gentle and lowly Savior speaking to those places in your heart. So what? So what? This is what it means to obey Jesus. The word obedience is not a popular word. But the word obedience really means to listen and to pay attention to what Christ is doing. And he's just saying, listen, pay attention to or as Kurt Thompson says, learn to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Think about what you're actually paying attention to. You may be actually paying attention to your fears. You're paying attention to the voice of condemnation, maybe for 10 years, and it's blasting. Learn to pay attention to, sw- to shift your attention to the voice of Jesus and to find out what pleases him. And you know what pleases him? He says it, loving one another. What do I do with my life? What's God's will for me? Students ask me that all the time. What's God's will for me? What am I supposed to do? Read the tea leaves? Have a crystal ball? They didn't give me a crystal ball when I started with RUF. I wish they would have. What is, here's what he wants. Whatever you're called to do in your life, your vocation, your identity as a branch and in bearing much fruit is to let God love other people through you. He loves you, and that produces this fruit. The gospel getting into those places, the freedom from toxic shame, the hope of the gospel, learning how to walk and God being there and showing up, being faithful to your greatest struggles and meeting you in profound failure and in weakness that produces this massive fruit that's not for you. The fruit isn't for you. It's always for someone else. So what you get on Sunday mornings is the fruit of what Jesus is doing in me. And every one of us have some other fruit to give someone else, to give the body of Christ, to give to our family, to give to our neighbors, and it's direct related to our story. I'll close with this. Think about a tree for a second. John Newton, the great hymn writer and former slave trader, he said, Christians are not mushroomed and disgusting. Like, why did you grow that? Why'd you, how did you grow that fast? Christians are not mushrooms. And so here's the thing. Cheer up. Cheer, like, think about this. Who ever saw an oak tree grow? Maybe on one of those, like, fast YouTube elapsed times things. That's not what I'm talking about. But you never look at an oak tree and say, wow, look at it growing. You just have seen it grow. And that's us too. It's slow. 
God could have made us grow and be sanctified and perfect like that, but he didn't. He chose for it to be this slow, gradual process. So let me encourage you, none of us are growing at a very, at a fast pace. And there are stops and starts and two steps forward and three steps back, but this is something God, through his spirit, is doing in you. And it is gradual and it is inevitable. And a sermon like this is calling for you. It is what his words are saying is a look how much I love you. I love you as the father has loved me. Let him woo your heart to root yourself down deeper into him, not into Presbyterianism, not into a religion, not into a doctrine, into Christ who is the doctrine. And that is how you become bigger and bigger. And over time, you will find that you are ministering to people in ways that you don't even notice because it's not about you. It's about what God's doing through you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are so kind and you are so good and you're so mysterious and so powerful. And we need you more than we ever have words to express. So would you just listen to the cries of our hearts as your word tells us that your, your spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray with groanings that are too deep for words. And that you would Let us rest in you like branches to a vine. And that we could bear much fruit, that it would be much fruit from you, not for us, but for you. Lord, let us peel ourselves away from our own reflection and rest in you and find refreshment in you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing everything. Lord, help us pay attention to what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name.